Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Sunday, August the 25th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll get back into the snap counts and advanced metrics from the game on Thursday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. What we learned about Miami's roster construction and a defense that might be pretty good. Plus, we'll weigh in on the wild trade speculation from the weekend, tell you about three players that don't get enough credit on this roster, and predict the final 53-man roster of your 2019 Miami Dolphins. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter, vote the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter, it's at Wingfield NFL. You can find the show at Locked On Fins, and of course, our written content, including today's piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com, going back into the advanced metrics and snap counts on Thursday night. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins. We got to start this podcast with Jerome Baker, who continues to show up in a huge way. And he was exactly in that same position on Thursday night, shutting down the Jaguars pass game, run game, rushing the passer. He did it all once again. And he was the focal point of a defense that now going back over the last two weeks, the equivalent of one full game, mostly against first team offenses. The Dolphins have done this 12 possessions, 10 points allowed. They have seven quarterback sacks, two takeaways, and limited the Jags and Bucks respectively to six of 27 third and fourth down conversions. That is good for 22.2% conversion rate from the opposing offense. And a lot of this has to do with Charles Harris and Eric Rowe. And we'll get to those guys here in just a minute. But we start with Jerome Baker. And if you guys go to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the key script point for this episode titled Miami Dolphins 53-Man Roster Prediction and Other Preseason Notes, there's a video in there of Jerome Baker watching the condensed short motion from the boundary side of the formation. He keys a pulling guard hesitates and then explodes through the hole and makes a tackle in the backfield on the running back. Very impressive. He's been on the field this preseason for 74 snaps, just a little bit more than a regular season game where you're going to see 60 to 70 snaps. He has 10 run stops, six quarterback pressures. He allowed 12 receiving yards on 35 coverage snaps. His traditional stats are awesome too. 13 tackles, a PBU, and he's allowing a 64.4 passer rating against All of these numbers, of course, coming to you from Pro Football Focus, where you can sign up today for an account over at pff.com. And while Baker led the way on the charge on the defense with 39 snaps, four other players had 39 snaps in this game as well on the Dolphins' defense. Xavier Howard... Eric Rowe, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Sam Aguavin among them. And Fitzpatrick bounced back in a big way, didn't miss any tackles, had a run stuff, and of course had that major stick in the passing game. But it was the perimeter corners that really caught my eye in this game. Xavier Howard, of course, he's been dominant for going back on two years now. And Eric Rowe, 
playing 39 snaps apiece, we got a taste of how opposing passing games are going to attack this Dolphins defense. Howard was targeted just one time. Smart. But Eric Rowe got nine passes thrown in his direction, and he had a huge game. Of the nine plays... Three of them, he made plays on the ball, two PBUs, one interception. He allowed five completions, about a 55% completion rate for 59 yards, just 6.5 YPA. And the one pick that he had helped him limit his passer rating against to 36.1 on those nine targets. Now you can line up and spike the ball into the turf and get a similar passer rating. So throwing to Eric Rowe is the same as spiking the ball, basically, is what PFF is telling us. Now Sam Aguavin, the other one that got 39 reps, he didn't have his best night, but cumulatively, he's had a very good preseason. He allowed 26 yards on three targets in the passing game, so not his best effort there, but he had a hurry as a pass rusher, three tackles and one run stop and next on the defense in snaps was Charles Harris with 33 and he flat out brought the noise again the Jags tried to chip him they tried to double him but it just didn't help he had five more pressures giving him 11 on 58 pass rush snaps this preseason that's good for 19 percent one of every five pass rush snaps Charles Harris gets a pressure on the quarterback and he's always had the speed the burst the get off and he needed an arsenal of moves to help kind of develop those explosive qualities into a true pass rusher because at first he was just an athlete but now it looks like he's becoming an actual pass rusher using his hands like weapons he's redirecting he's changing his launch point based upon where the quarterback is located and he's showing a penchant for counter moves which should go a long way in getting him into the posing backfield early and often this season. Nate Orchard, another defensive end, has had a smashing preseason in his own right. He has four sacks, most in the NFL, and he put pressure on Jacksonville quarterback six times, four hurries and two sacks on just 20 pass rush snaps. Dwayne Hendricks had three pressures on 20 reps. And on the inside of the defensive line, Devon Godshaw, we'll talk about him in the next segment, but he was his usual immovable self. Both of his tackles were run stuffs within two yards of the line of scrimmage, and he had a PFF grade of 85.8 in the game. That is above starter level play for Devon Godshaw. Terrell Hanks, the linebacker, only played four snaps, which is a bit concerning for his future here, but he did pick up the sack fumble on those four reps that put the game on ice. And Trey Watson showed his value once again as a backup stack linebacker and specialist. He had the one tackle, but he allowed just one reception on three targets for eight yards overall on the night. So the Dolphins defense is swarming. They're taking to the scheme. They're playing fast. They're playing aggressive. They're putting pressure on the quarterbacks. They're challenging routes, both at the line of scrimmage, at the top of the route, and at the catch point. Very, very encouraged by this side of the ball. Now, the offensive side has not been quite as good, not even close. The offense is probably as bad as the defense is good. But the one thing I will say is that you haven't seen the full gamut of what the offense is going to do. And that's probably true of all 32 franchises. But you go back to the practice reps. They were putting things in on install that we just haven't seen yet. Early down runs have been the main fixture of this preseason. I think they'll get away from that. They've done lots of unbalanced 12 personnel running into bad fronts and bad looks. I think they're trying to set up these tendencies so they can break those tendencies in the regular season. They had plenty of these play action looks and throwback looks. They did tons of pre-snap motion. We haven't seen much of that on the preseason. So just kind of temper the negativity around the offense. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not going to be good. But when they game plan, we'll learn more about the offensive coaching staff and see if they're able to mask some of the weaknesses we've seen so far through three preseason games. And speaking of hiding things, 
Guys, you don't have to hide your incompetence anymore. The Dolphins' offense might not have many answers to their concerns, but I'm about to tell you about an answer you have staring you right in the face. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I went to training camp exactly one month ago on July 25th, and since that time, the podcast has 200,000 downloads, putting us right up against 1 million for the year. The website has over 175,000 unique page views, and my Twitter blew up. I gained 2,000 followers and had over 8 million engagements in the one month. Hard work truly does pay off, and I know I say this all the damn time, but I'm so appreciative of all you guys for helping the podcast by sharing the word, putting the likes and the retweets out there for me, telling friends, reading the work, downloading the podcast, engaging with me on Twitter. It's been an absolute blast. I've never had a job this fun, and I owe it all to you guys, the fans. I love you guys so much. Thank you, thank you so, so much for all the support. And we are only going to go up from here. So keep your eyes peeled because we got more big things coming at Locked On Dolphins and on the Locked On Podcast Network. So let's go ahead and jump right back into the meat of this episode and talk about the offense the other night, which just wasn't as good. And I'm an offensive guy. I typically start on that side of the ball when it comes to my breakdowns, but you got to give the love to the defense because they've been really good. And I wonder how much the Jaguars fans, Jaguars, Jaguars, I don't know, who cares? I wonder how much Jags fans are concerned about their team or Bucks fans concerned about their team because the Dolphins put it to them on defense. That's fun, but we have our own concerns on the offensive side of the ball. And for the second straight week, the rookie guards led the way with 46 snaps on the offense. And again, they both struggled. Now, Michael Dieter was okay last week. Shaq Calhoun was not. Both of them were not in this game. Both of the two guys had three pressures allowed each. They both graded negatively in the run game. And Calhoun had a flag thrown on him in this game as well. Those guys are going to be a work in progress. And I think this season on the offensive line is going to be about developing them. And you hope that one of them becomes a stalwart at the guard position. On the outside, Laramie Tunzel, and we'll get to him here in a minute, was a late scratch. And the previously injured for pretty much all of camp, Zach Stirrup, who has played some game reps late in seasons, he filled in. He played 17 snaps. He didn't get hit with any pressures, although I saw 
saw him look a little bit shaky at times in pass protection, and PFF's grade corroborates that even though he didn't allow pressures, but he had a dreadful 36.8 run blocking grade in the game. I just don't see it with Zach Stirrup. I don't see it with the next guy either, who was Jordan Mills, a longtime vet in this league, a guy that has played over a thousand snaps in back-to-back seasons. He allowed one hurry, had an impressive 81.1 pass pro grade, but he too was dreadful in the running game. And Chris Reed, I talk about this guy all offseason, all training camp, all preseason, but once again, he was the best offensive lineman on the team. He had one hurry and 17 pass blocking reps and earned the second best run blocking grade on the team behind Kyle Fuller. Chris Reed should be in the starting five. I'm not sure why he's not. Jesse Davis allowed two pressures on 22 pass blocking reps, although both of those were hurries. I didn't think he had a good game either. And at the quarterback spot, Ryan Fitzpatrick had the lion's share of the quarterback snaps, but the Dolphins offense gained just three first downs on his seven possessions in the first half, and they came back in that second half and rescued things with a nice touchdown drive. Josh Rosen had the best game of any Dolphins offensive player. He had the highest PFF grade, and I thought his best plays came against busted protection and throw on the move after escaping that pressure. That's a real sign towards the future as things are kind of speeding up for him a little bit. He's getting more comfortable in the offense and he's only going to grow into the offense as time goes along. If he can get that timing and rhythm down, he might be okay. He might be a mid-level league starting quarterback. That's as far as I'm willing to go right now, which is better than I thought about him just one month ago. In the backfield, undrafted rookie Patrick Laird, he stole the show. Although he only had 26 rushing yards and that nice touchdown run, 19 of his 26 yards came after initial contact. That's good for an average yak total of 3.17 yards per touch. And Miles Gaskin was in that neighborhood too. He had 2.5 yak average on the night. And both those guys, Laird and Gaskin, rushed for two first downs with six carries each. Kalen Balage only had 1.17 yards of yak in this game, yards after contact. And that's something I think we should monitor as we go forward because Balage only made the first defender miss on two of 45 touches last season. And you watch kind of some of the uncomfortability in his work in the passing game and this can be corroborated over the past with several beat writers that have said that Kalen Balazs had to do a lot of work on his pass receiving because his footwork and the way he received the football wasn't natural and there was a play in the game where they were definitely going to throw a swing pass. They had staggered trips receivers to the right who were on the line of scrimmage, off the line in the slot, and in the backfield in the deep slot with Kalen Balazs and they threw him the swing with the intention of getting him into a one-on-one situation in the open field. That's exactly what happened. Balazs took his eyes off the ball and peeked at the linebacker and dropped the thing. I just... I'm not as high on Kalen Balazs as most are. I think the issues he had in college, namely his vision, are showing up in the NFL. He's got to get that fixed if he's going to be a bell cow back in the NFL. And the last two position groups we got to talk about on the offense, of course, the receivers and tight ends, all the pass catchers. And the situation was pretty fluid throughout the game at wideout. Isaiah Ford led the way with a 118.8 passer rating on two targets. Of course, one of those, the Josh Rosen escape. And Preston Williams, I thought, had an interesting night. He didn't catch any footballs. He did get tapped with a drop, although I'm going to argue that that ball was misfired by Ryan Fitzpatrick. He uncovered twice, once on that takeoff route against Jalen Ramsey. 
Ramsey, another time on that deep out against A.J. Boye, two of the best cornerbacks the NFL has to offer. But most interesting about Williams in this game, aside from the bizarre punt returns, which we can go ahead and put an end to that right now, he stayed on the field on the Dolphins' first possession, second play from scrimmage, in a 13-personnel package, and that means one back, three tight ends, one receiver, and that's a grouping that you'll see oftentimes the most trusted, most reliable, and best receiver out there, and it was Preston Williams. Also, he was out there on the next play in 11 personnel in a 3 by one look, and that was the route against A.J. Boye where he uncovered, and that was put into the isolation portion of the pass concept, one-on-one, no safety help, put our best guy out there, Preston Williams, and he uncovered. So I think that's telling that he's going to be not only on this roster, which we'll get to in the third segment, but he's going to be a big-time factor in the way they draw up their game plans at tight end. I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. I like Mike Kosicki, man. He's playing good football right now. Three targets, three catches, 59 yards, two first downs. He had a great catch in one-on-one coverage against a linebacker who just couldn't match his athleticism. He's doing really good work in the passing game. And again, he continues to get himself in the way, which is enough against the run as a blocker. And while we're on the topic of tight ends, I want to finish up this segment of the podcast and talk about three players that I think that we as Dolphins fans And I'm kind of guilty of this too. Guys that we don't talk about enough as contributors to the football team. And I snuck a tight end in here, even though I believe much stronger in the first two guys. And we'll start with Nick O'Leary because he just does so much dirty work that doesn't get recognized. Somebody asked me today, who's a better blocker between Nick O'Leary and Durham Smythe? And I mentioned that it depends on the situation because Nick O'Leary, for my money, gives you the flexibility to have a backup fullback behind Chandler Cox. And that versatility, the work he does as an H-back in the backfield as a fullback, coming across the formation on dig-out blocks. And he does that so often where he has to pick up the backside unblocked edge and just throws a body at him and gets that guy on the ground. That is so valuable for the running back to know he has that backside cutback lane available for him. He'll occasionally sneak out into the flat, make a catch, break a tackle, pick up a first down. His versatility, his run blocking don't show up very often in the stat sheet, but he's an underrated player on this roster. And I think the most underrated guy on this roster is Devon Godshaw. And he doesn't show up in the way the modern NFL likes to grade defensive tackles on the pass rush stat sheet. But he sets those guys up with dominant rep after dominant rep on first and second down. He's so damn good against the run. He holds the point of attack. He's always the low man, plays with so much power. He's a great fit for this scheme. I think that he'll get a contract extension coming up here pretty soon too, just like we saw with Jakeem Grant. And lastly, a scratch-off ticket that I think is going to pay off for this team. And I don't want to call him the next Brent Grimes in terms of a guy coming off a serious injury, getting a one-year deal, and then earning a big paycheck in the following offseason. Although, if Mike Tannenbaum was still here, I'm sure Eric Rowe would have gotten a four-year extension by now. But I'm talking, of course, about... Eric Rowe. And we talk about versatility with Nick O'Leary and the entire Dolphins offense and defense and roster. Eric Rowe is one of those guys as well. He can play the boundary. He can play the field. He can play slot. He'll even play some safety work. He is doing a lot of really good things in this particular scheme where he's physical. He's a little bit grabby at times, but that's okay because they're not going to always call it. He understands the trail technique and the scheme of this defensive coverage they want to run. I love the way this defense funnels to help 
In the past, in Matt Burke defenses, they would play off coverage, give you everything underneath. But now, they challenge every yard on this defense. They're going to play underneath. They're going to trail. They're going to follow the receiver and funnel into the help. And Eric Rowe is exceptional in that regard. I think he's a great fit. If he can stay healthy, he'll be a big-time hit. And when we come back on the next segment here, we're going to discuss those rampant, negligent rumors, and I'll put down my final 53-man roster prediction here next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Just a few podcasts ago, I told you guys... So be careful about where you get your analysis from. And I'm not one to bash my own audience, but the truth is that football is very complex. It's an esoteric game. And just watching it doesn't really give you an insight to the game. I've spent many, many, many hours reading about the finer points of football, learning from other experts in the field, not to call myself an expert, but leaning on those other guys to teach me stuff about the game, players, coaches, film buffs, applying myself to the craft every single day, especially now that I do the podcast. So when someone shows up and puts video clips up there and claims to be an expert, it just gets to me a little bit, but it doesn't get to me as bad as pretend insiders I mean, if you're going to be wary of where your analysis comes from, be doubly wary of where your insider information comes from. And as the Miami Herald did, we can put to rest these concocted trade rumors. Laramie Tunzel is not going anywhere. And to say that Laramie Tunzel is available for the right price is pretty much true of every single player in the league, minus like six or seven guys. The team is currently working, and I have this on good authority, on a contract extension for Laramie Tunzel, not trying to trade him. Just because the phone rings doesn't mean that they are shopping or dangling Laramie Tunzel. And Miami, all things considered, is going to be active on the trade market because that's just who they are, philosophically. They are following the Patriots model, and the New England model says to look for upgrades on your roster any way possible, whether it's free agency, the draft, or trades, and trades have become more prevalent, especially with the Patriots and now with the Dolphins, who have made four trades this calendar year, Robert Quinn, Ryan Tannehill, Josh Rosen, and of course the trade down in round number two on draft day. That was top five in the NFL for trades done this calendar year. That's just going to be who they are. They're going to work the trade lines and trade market as much as they possibly can. As for the players rumored to be traded, let's talk about some of these guys that have been floated out there. Rashad Jones is one of them, and I just don't see him as a movable piece because of that contract. I don't think he's a great fit in the scheme. He kind of takes poor angles. He is great in run support, but he can't really cover man up on tight ends or in the slot the way you want your safeties and slot cornerbacks to do. So I worry about his long-term fit here, but also he's making 13 million bucks this year. So I don't know who the hell would take on that contract. Kenny Stills, that one makes some sense because the receiver room right now, for my money, is overcrowded with the emergence of Preston Williams, the recent Jakeem Grant extension. But even still, Brian Flores backed his guy. He went to the podium and talked about his own difficult upbringing, and he stood up for his very celebrated, very charitable receiver in this community. And we should all celebrate Kenny Stills for what he does off the field. Now, on the field, he hasn't been as productive. His quarterback play hasn't been great, but you can make the argument that there is room to trade Kenny Stills, and I think that's where that comes from. As for Kiko Alonso, I don't know who's going to take him because he's just not that good, and the Dolphins can save some money by cutting him. I think that's the obvious choice. And to bring it back to the offensive line trade rumors and Laramie Tunzel, 
if they do make some trades and some moves, I expect this 53-man roster is not quite done yet, and I would assume they're going to go out and look for linemen because for my money, there are six linemen on this roster that are rosterable, and that's probably at best. I had a really tough time rounding out my seventh and eight offensive linemen. I'd like to keep nine, but I can't even keep seven or eight in good faith, so I certainly couldn't do nine. But that's all to say that I think they'll be active on the offensive line market when the NFL cuts its rosters down from 90 all the way to 53. So a few more notes here before we do get into the roster prediction, my 53-man roster prediction based upon 10 practices, three preseason games digested in full, an entire offseason of film study. It's important to note who some of the backups were to come into the game first, as well as who opened up the special teams units on the kickoff and punt. I listed those lineups in the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, and that all brings us in to the 53-man roster prediction, the thing we've been waiting for all episode long. Keep it in the back pocket, and here it goes. At quarterback, I'm keeping two, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen. At Running back, Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balaj, Mark Walton, Patrick Laird, and Chandler Cox will be the fullback. Five tailbacks on the roster, or I guess four tailbacks and one fullback. At receiver, six of them. Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, and I'm keeping Isaiah Ford over Dwayne Allen as I only keep three tight ends. I think Nick O'Leary can serve as my backup fullback. I've got Mike Gesicki in there and Durham Smythe as well. On the offensive line, I kept eight, and this is basically done based upon how the Dolphins put the guys onto the field in order on Thursday night. We know the starters, Tunzel, Dieter, Kilgore, Calhoun, Davis, and I'm keeping Chris Reed, who I think should be a starter, Jordan Mills, and Isaiah Prince. I think Prince might have an opportunity to be a swing guard tackle type of a player. They'll have Chris Reed as the center and guard backup. Jordan Mills, your swing tackle, and Isaiah Prince will be the inactive eighth man on the roster on game day. On the interior defensive line, so that's 24 guys on offense, by the way. On the interior defensive line, Devon Godshaw, Christian Wilkins, Akeem Spence, Vincent Taylor, and Adolphus Washington. Off the edge, Charles Harris, Tank Carradine, Nate Orchard, Jonathan Ledbetter. That's nine defensive linemen. I've got six linebackers, Jerome Baker, Sam Aguavin, Raquan McMillan, Andrew Van Ginkle, Terrell Hanks, and Trey Watson. At cornerback, I've got six more of those. Xavier Howard, Minka Fitzpatrick, Eric Rowe, Jamal Wiltz, Chris LeMonds, Cornell Armstrong, and five safeties, and Bobby McCain, TJ McDonald, Rashad Jones, Montre Hardage, and the special teams ace, Walt Aikens, with Jason Sanders, Matt Hawk, and John Denny as your specialists. So you'll recognize the two big cuts I listed there, Kiko Alonso and Dwayne Allen. Miami can save some money on those contracts both this year and next year and get some more young or some more youth onto the roster, get some more evaluation for those guys because right now, Dwayne Allen and Kiko Alonso are just progress blockers. We don't need them. They're not going to be here in the future. Just move on now. It's, it makes sense. As far as the practice squad goes, you probably heard some names that weren't on that list that you wanted to hear, and they're probably on this list. Jake Rudock, Miles Gaskin, the running back, the seventh round draft pick, tight end Chris Myrick, the Temple undrafted rookie, wide receiver Trenton Irwin, another undrafted player, Aaron Montiero, another UDFA, Jared Jones-Smith, Durval Neto, who moved from defensive tackle to offensive line. He has practice squad exemption. He is the 11th man on the defensive line. Dwayne Hendricks was the next guy I wanted to put on there. I just couldn't find room for him. Nick DeLuca is also in that same boat. I wanted to get him on the roster. Just couldn't do it. And in the secondary, Nick Needham and Jalen Davis round out your practice squad. You guys can read this list in its entirety up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And with that, 
I am going to get the hell out of here. We'll come back on tomorrow's show and talk about the Baltimore Ravens, what I saw from them in their third preseason game. We're going to preview the 2020 offseason because if you're like me, not looking all that forward to the actual games this year as far as trying to make the playoffs, but I am very excited about the 2020 offseason and the future of this franchise and the direction they are headed. We'll do all that on tomorrow's show, but as for today... That is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.